When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. The Queen of Hearts and her cards are characters from Alice Through the Looking Glass, Captain. I read the book as a child, Mr. Spock, but I wasn't aware you indulged in the literature of fantasy. Light reading is considered relaxing, Captain. My mother was particularly fond of Lewis Carroll's work. 99 bottles of Romulan ale on the wall. 99 bottles of Romulan ale. This is episode 99. Welcome to Positively Trek. <laughs> 99. Wow. I, you know, I, I totally forgot that until you mentioned that just now. <laughs> I know. And you know what that means? The next episode is 100. Our 100th episode. Woo. Okay. Okay. Premature celebration. Sorry. Sorry. Okay. Rain <laughs> it in, Dan. Rain it, it in. Rain it in. But that episode is coming out early, a day early on April 5th for First Contact Day. And we are going to cover the movie Star Trek First Contact on it. Oh, I'm so excited for that. And we're going to have a special guest on as well that I'm pretty excited about too. So, Oh, who is that? Uh, should we give it away? We'll give it away. It's, it's nobody from the shows or anything like that. Those of you who regularly watch Star Trek content on YouTube may know of a gentleman who goes by the moniker, the Irish Trekkie. And, uh, we've got him on the show to talk about Star Trek first contact on first contact day for our hundredth episode. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. I've loved his videos for ages, so I'm really excited to get to talk to him. That is exciting. It's going to be a really good show. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, I don't know if I said, but I'm Bruce Gibson. That was Dan Gunther just talking. If this is your first time listening to the episode uh, or to an episode of Positively Trek, if this is your first time, go back and listen to our catalog of 98 episodes and catch up. (laughs) (laughs) And you could do it like the bottles of Romulan Ale on the wall. You go from 99 to 98, 97, go backwards. That would be an interesting way to listen to a podcast. Yeah, there you go. So you start out with probably the good stuff and end up with, you know, the the untested, you know, not so good stuff at the end. So <laughs> that sounds very fulfilling. You should definitely do that. <laughs> yes, the stuff of us, stuff of us saying like, oh, do you think uh, we hope this works out? We we hope to be around for a while. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and look, we're still here, ninety nine, a year later. Pretty nice. But uh, the great thing I love about Positively Trek is not just working with Dan and talking to him on the show every time, but, you know, we talk general Star Trek stuff on our flagship show that usually comes out on Tuesdays, and again, this special one's coming out on Monday, but also that we do episode reviews of new Star Trek, and then this part here, this episode, a book club episode. I love this part because I love reading the Star Trek novels, 
and the comics. We review those here on the book club. And today, for your listening pleasure, we're going to review the novel The Lost Era, One Constant Star by David R. George III. Now, Dan, this is not the first time you've read this book. No, I did read it back when it first came out in, I believe, 2014. Uh, and and it's a follow-up of sorts to his previous Lost Era novel. But yeah, and usually when I read a novel, I remember more of it from when I read it before. But yeah, this time I was like, I don't remember much of this at all. I was reading this novel, and after a few chapters, I thought, gosh, this is very similar to another Star Trek novel I read not that long ago. What was that novel? And then I realized it was this one. So <laughs> I was like, oh, I do remember aspects of this. I didn't even realize it at the time, but I remembered a lot of it. But to your point, there were things that I didn't remember, significant things. And I mean, I've had the issue too, where I pick up a book that I said, oh, I remember loving this book, but I couldn't, I can't remember a lot of what the book was about, but I just remembered I really liked it. It's weird how that is, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's funny. And I, and I do find that a lot with Star Trek novels, I guess I should say. You know, I, I have this like encyclopedic memory of episodes and films and that sort of thing. But for whatever reason, when I read a novel, I can come back to it like five or six years later and I barely remember a thing from it. Yeah, same here. I mean, there's times I read a novel six months ago and I barely remember it, you know? Once I open <laughs> it up and I start paging through, it all starts coming back sometimes. But I don't know. But that's not the case here f- for me as much with One Constant Star. But I read it also later than you did. I didn't read it when it first came out. I read it maybe a few years after. And as you said earlier, this is a follow-up to a Lost Era novel that we recently reviewed on a previous episode of The Book Club, and that was Serpents Among the Ruins. And so because we read that book and involved Harriman and Demora Sulu, it's like, let's go on to One Constant Star, and that's where we are. So, okay, jumping into this. So we have Captain Demora Sulu. So last time we saw her, she was a first officer, and Harriman had left his post as captain, and she just got promoted. And now here we see her years later as a captain of the Enterprise, and there you go. You have Sulu as a captain of the Enterprise, but not the Sulu we know. It's the other Sulu, his daughter, Demora Sulu. <laughs> yeah, I, lo- I love this aspect. I love the character of Demora Sulu, as we've mentioned in, in the last book club episode as well. We don't get a lot of her on screen. We get a few minutes of her as an ensign, a helmsman on the Enterprise B. And I love the character development that David R. George has done for her in this. And we get to learn more about her and her relationship with her crew and how she's faring as the captain of the Enterprise, which I really appreciated. I thought it was an interesting take on a Starfleet captain and and some of the little things we learn about her. I, I really love. I think this is the only novel that we have Captain Sulu in the lead. But I think there's also, which I've never read, there's a captain's table short story too. Yeah. And I did read that. I remember years after reading this novel, I think I, I picked that up and read through those. And I don't really remember a lot about that going back to what I said earlier. I don't remember a lot of what I read, but yeah, I think that might be the only other Captain Sulu, Captain Demora Sulu story uh, that we've gotten. Well, in this story, the Enterprise B visits an uninhabitable planet called Rajaris II. And there they discover a portal 
which will take, if you go through the portal, it'll take you to another universe. And what happens is Ensign Hawkins Young falls through this portal accidentally and is now trapped there. And then the first officer of the Enterprise, Zintal Linoge, and she loses her arm when trying to reach in for Young. And that was that part I didn't remember <laughs> the first time I read it. But then I was like, oh, yeah, that that it started to come back to me. But that surprised me when it happened. So we did not know where this portal was leading to and where people were going to as soon as they went through it. So, Dan, at this point in the story, what were your thoughts of what was going on with this portal? Yeah, this was this was something that like they don't discover that it's a portal right away. They just realize that, you know, these tractor beams have pulled in this guy into, into it and they can see him, but he seemingly can't see them or respond to any, you know, they're yelling at him and and waving at him and he can't see them. So, you know, I think we as a reader figure out pretty quickly that he's somewhere else. Whereas, you know, like good Starfleet officers and good scientists, they have to do a bunch of, you know, tests to try and see like, is he just hidden there? Is he, is there some sort of cloaking field or something like that? But no, they do find out, like you said, it's a portal to somewhere else. And I was really fascinated by this. I remember when I first read it thinking like, okay, this is a follow-up to the novel serpents among the ruins. So I went into this, you know, not, I I shouldn't have necessarily maybe, but I was kind of expecting a similar political thriller, spy games, espionage, that kind of thing, because that's what we'd gotten from David R. George in the previous novel. So I was kind of pleasantly surprised that we get this scientific mystery and this kind of danger of an unexplored, uninhabited planet and the the things that befall the landing party there. So I, I remember kind of being, you know, excited that we get this exploration story. Uh, and it's funny, you say the the part with the first officer and the arm, as soon as I read that, that was like the one thing I did remember from this novel. I was like, oh, this is that novel. Like I remember that, just kind of the visceralness of of that happening. And so she reaches down past the certain point and pulls her arm back and just immediately feels like searing white hot pain. And she doesn't know why and looks down and her arm is missing. And like, there's just a straight clean wound and the bottom like part of her arm below her shoulder is gone. And it's just that image has stuck with me. And as soon as I read that, I was just, oh, wow, this, this novel. Oh, oh my gosh. Yeah. And, you know, later in the book, Damora Sulu sees the arm laying there. Yeah. <laughs> oh, like, man. Uh, and by the way, we will get, we're going into spoilers in this. So just, you know, fair warning there. But yeah. Oh, the arm thing was like, and see, that's interesting too, because I remember when I was starting to read this book before it started to come back to me that I, you know, started to remember things when they were visiting the planet and they were seeing that nobody was around these abandoned buildings, the cities, everything was just abandoned and they couldn't figure out what happened to the people. And I really was like, I don't remember but when we got to the portal part, it started to come back to me. And that's why I started thinking, oh, this is similar to another book I read until I realized it was this book. And <laughs> <laughs> it's, but here's the question I have for you. I, 
I may have missed this, but I remember later in the book, Harriman says that they are they went through this portal into another dimension or an alternate universe. And I thought, wait, when did we conclude that it definitely was an alternate universe? Because at that time I was thinking we still weren't sure if they were being transported just to another planet. Or I even was wondering, were they just in the distant past, a very distant past of this planet? Like it was just a time portal and they were in the location that they fell into on the planet, but just in the past. Mm-hmm. Well, it, it was Demora that made that realization and reported that they have an Odyssey solution. And that was what told Harriman that, oh, they're in a different dimension because presumably she had analyzed the 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 star fields and realized that they didn't match where they were from, which could mean that they were really, really far away. But I think she realized that that star, like she, she located that star or something and realized that, oh, that's that star. We can get back that way. We're, we must be in a different universe. And so that was basically all communicated to Harriman just by her saying, we have an odyssey solution. Yeah, which we'll get to that a little later. But I remember her analyzing the stars, but at the same time I was thinking, oh, they may be a far distance away. Yeah. And that why this uh, so I wasn't sure exactly if that was how it was concluded or not. But that yeah, I mean that makes sense then. So Yeah, that that kind of highlights one of the the very few and I wouldn't say problems I have with this novel, but something that this novel does frequently is they kind of jump ahead a little bit and present things in a way that kind of requires the reader to catch up a little bit. And, and that's one example where we don't see Demora come to that realization, but we know she's been analyzing the stars and we find out she's come to that realization by what Harriman says. And that happens a couple of times in this novel where, you know, there'll be, we have a, we have an idea of how we're going to do something we're going to see if it works. And then we seem to jump ahead a little bit and it's like, oh yeah, we did that and it worked a while ago kind of thing. And you're like, oh, okay, I'm caught up now. I didn't realize that we jumped ahead past that. So again, not a problem with the novel, but it is definitely a, a technique that the author was using numerous times throughout the novel that kind of left me going, wait, what just happened? Oh, okay. Now, now I'm caught up. If that makes sense. It makes me wonder if he had to edit down the novel at times. Maybe it was getting too Mm. long because I want to touch on that a little later because there was something uh, that happened in the novel or didn't happen in the novel. And I thought, why isn't that there? And I thought, well, maybe it was and it was just getting too long. He had to cut it out. So we're going to revisit that a little later. So going back to Zintalanaj. Let's talk about this losing the arm. <laughs> well, not just the losing the arm, but the fact that she has to deal with this. And not only that, but uh, Captain Sulu is now stuck on the other side of the portal and can't come back. So there's this communication that she's able to do with the ship by, what was it? It was something that she, uh, they could see through the portal at Demora Sulu, and she had something scrolling with messages across that they could read. So she was able to mm-hmm. communicate that way. They could send um, probes or, or recorder yeah, markers yeah, down to them, but yeah, she couldn't the other way. So there was communication going on. And again, Demora Sulu was there trying to uh, help rescue Hawkins Young. But with Zintal... I really like this character and the fact that she had to deal with losing an arm 
but she was very much focused on, you know what? I lost my arm. I'll have to deal with it. I'll deal with it later. I have to take command. And she just moved forward and wasn't thinking so much about what happened to herself, what she has to do for everyone else. I did enjoy the exploration of some of the psychology of that. So shortly after she sustains that injury, she's very eager to get back to work, but she hasn't confronted what this really means for her. And we see her struggling with that and struggling with her emotions around it as anyone would. I mean, it's a traumatic life altering event that, you know, there's a chance that, you know, a biosynthetic arm could be fitted, but there's also a chance that might not work. So her future is kind of uncertain. And this is another one of those moments where the author does that kind of jumping ahead thing again, where we see kind of her struggling with it and that sort of thing. And then we jump ahead like a few weeks kind of thing. And she's taking command for the first time. And it's clear she, it's been a long road to kind of get there, but we kind of skip past that a little bit and just see the outcome of her taking command again down the road. So I don't know. I I feel like, it's you made a good point. It very well could be an editorial thing where they had to cut down the size of the novel. But at the same time, I think those decisions, at least in some of the cases that I'm talking about, are very effective in, you know, kind of showing how they got to where they are without actually having to go through it, but just showing the repercussions of it and the outcomes. So it's an interesting way to tell the story. And uh, I, I really appreciated this character. I thought she was a really fascinating one and one that I would have liked to have spent even more time with. I don't think I recall her getting an arm at the end, right? We didn't really address it any further once we got to the end of the book. I think towards the end of the novel, they do mention that she will be getting her biosynthetic arm but it hasn't happened yet that's what i but thought yeah i remembered some line i can't find it now i can't quite remember but it seemed like the the prognosis was much more positive at that point that like oh yes this will happen and it, it'll be fine kind of thing i remember earlier in the book they said it was a clean cut so they should be able to this freaks me out talking about stuff like this. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah it was yeah. a clean cut so it would make it pretty you know in her favor that something would work <laughs> Yeah, I do remember the complication was like some of the nerve endings were burned or something like that from the from the field or the or the, yeah. the portal. And that introduced some complication that it might not 100% work. So and and there's a whole thing where she wants to be fitted with a, a more conventional prosthesis in the meantime, which would make her chances for being able to adapt to the biosynthetic one harder or something. Yeah. So that kind of wasn't an option. And yeah, it's, it's fascinating, but yeah, I can see how it's, it's definitely like not just for the person dealing with it, but for the people around her, it's hard to get used to. And we see that through some of the other characters too. Yeah, that's true because I know some of the characters look at it like, wait, wait, what happened to her arm? And she's just moving forward. Like it's nothing like, you know, mm -hmm. like, get over it. Like I'm moving forward. I have to take command, which was great of her. Good for her. I really like that. But as I mentioned too, because you know, Captain Sulu, Demora Sulu, sometimes I have to make it clear that I'm saying Demora because some people are like, Oh yeah, Captain. No, not that Sulu, the other one, but Demora Sulu <laughs> and Ensign Costas take the shuttlecraft through the portal because she's decided she's going to go and rescue Ensign Young. They're going to figure out some way to make this work. 
But now, of course, they're stranded on the other side, and they're even flying around the planet trying to figure out where they are and what's going on, all this stuff. But Ensign Young was attacked by this big spider-like creature on the planet, which kind of freaked me out, too. And yeah. <laughs> they come back later and a bunch of spiders start attacking them in the shuttlecraft. Oh, um, I remember that. that. I re- yes, I remember. <laughs> that was one part of the book I was really remembering was the spiders. Yes. Yeah. It's funny because at first I wasn't really remembering it. And then there's a scene later on and it's not Demora and her group, but uh, another group that we'll talk about a little bit later. But like there's one of them attacks and then, you know, out of the corner of his eye, he saw all of the boulders begin to move or something like that. And yes. I was like, Oh no. Oh, that one really stuck with me. <laughs> now I know why my daughters always want me to kill the spiders in the house because you know they could be <laughs> scary. But you know, there was something though earlier in the book before this, where she even says about her father had been missing or presumed dead for years. And I was like, wait, 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 what? I don't yeah. remember any of this. Yeah. And I was wondering if, cause again, this was part of the novel that I just was not remembering at all. So that, that first reference, I was thinking, is that to another novel? Is that something else? I, I don't remember this at all. And it's, it's, interesting how just the seeds for the later mystery get planted at this point because yeah i'm going oh man you know the excelsior disappeared years ago and and was declared lost with all hands what when did when did that happen (laughs) yes i was doing the same thing but after a while i started to remember when the spiders were there i was like wait a second i'm starting to remember that the crew of the excelsior including Captain Hikaru Sulu, are stranded in this alternate universe on this planet. They've been there for 11 years. And they come to the rescue of Demora Sulu and Costas and Young. But Costas gets killed by a spider, so maybe they didn't quite succeed at the rescue but (laughs) and that's what really surprised me was i did not remember that at all like even getting to that part i was like oh sulu and the excelsior are in this i totally forgot and we get this amazing flashback scene showing how they originally went through the portal and the excelsior is is heavily damaged and destroyed on the other they after they've gone through the portal they launch the escape pods and realize they're not where they started. And that whole scene is incredible. It's incredibly well-written and and very heartbreaking. The one part of like, okay. So in the T in a TNG episode, I can't remember the exact one. Now they talk about uh, the USS Excelsior taking part in some sort of search and rescue mission. And I've always thought in the back of my mind, and actually even the uh, Star Trek encyclopedia runs with this assumption that it's the same Excelsior, like almost a century later, still in service. And I've always kind of liked that idea. So it's kind of sad here that in the novels, they destroyed the Excelsior and the Excelsior in that TNG episode must be a, a different ship, a newer ship of the same name. Which is fine. There's nothing in the episode that says it has to be the old Sulu's Excelsior or anything like that. But just always made me a little sad that like, ah, the original Excelsior is not still out there during Picard's time. (laughs) 
I looked it up too in uh, Wikipedia or uh, or Memory Alpha or Memory Beta, whatever. I looked at certain things because I thought, wait, the Excelsior was destroyed. But to your point, I remember in TNG another you know Excelsior that looks just like this, and I don't know if it's from the same episode, but they said there was one of the screens that listed a bunch of ships and registry numbers, and the Excelsior was there, but it had a different registry number than the NCC two thousand. It was something oh. totally different, totally okay, different. Okay, that number. I didn't know. So yeah. So yeah, that, that precludes that. that idea then. But then if you go to Star Trek Online, they have an Excelsior class ship called Excelsior, but it's the 2000D, oh, which would suggest there was an A, B, C, and then D in the last hundred years. So that Ooh, would work with lot. David's book because <laughs> this ship's destroyed and there would be others that follow, but does it make sense about that other registry number on TNG. So anyway, I was yeah. just, I did look that up because look, we're geeks, right? We do this stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, no. And, and I mean, the, the idea that it's the same USS Excelsior is kind of a fun idea, but it's not necessarily, it doesn't, it's not necessary. <laughs> no, it's not. But also if this isn't canon, so there you go. You can always yeah, say absolutely. that, right? <laughs> <laughs> different. This could be a different timeline. You never know. So. Exactly. Yeah. But here's the thing I want to get back to about us saying about things jumping ahead or was the book edited? Because I thought it was interesting. And I'm sure, again, this is probably due to time. There's so much, you know, you can put in the book. But I thought, what an interesting thing to really focus story wise on. And that is how this Excelsior crew got through 11 years stranded on this planet. Like, to mm-hmm. me, that's a whole nother story there. Like, I'm really interested to know what they went through for 11 years. And we yeah. didn't get a whole lot of that. Not a lot. There's there's some, you know, kind of explained backstory that they've lost a few people to these spider creatures over the years and that sort of thing. But, yeah, like, uh, we don't really get to stay with that for very long. We don't really know what they went through. We just kind of see the very beginning, the landings of the, of the escape pods. And then the very end where Demora and her party are rescued by the, the Excelsior crew. So yeah, it's really too bad. I would have liked to have had that explored a bit more. I think to your earlier point, that would really make this novel a gargantuan, story if we really wanted to delve into that so it, it, it is too bad it kind of gets left behind a little bit and it's not necessary to the story anyway so it, it it doesn't really need to be told but it created enough interest for me that i want to hear that story i want to know what they did each year of those 11 years what they did when they first got there did they figure out where they were did they figure out you know how you know how were they going to live there did they live in tents did they just stay in their shuttlecrafts did, like what all did they do what were the adventures that they went through for 11 years i mean you think about it when you got to the point of 11 years and you probably they probably already figured out they're in an alternate universe they had to be sitting there thinking like we're here for the rest of our lives we're done. Like, yeah, this is it. definitely. Yeah. I would have liked to have explored that a little bit more. Like how did they take that news? Like how did they, when, when they come to that realization, if they did come to that realization, how, how are, how's everyone sitting with that? Like, are there people 
that don't consider themselves Starfleet officers anymore? Are there, you know, like, are they still a cohesive crew or not? We kind of get that a little bit glossed over, but it's kind of a testament to how interesting this novel is that we want more of it. Like, that's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's things in there like, wonder, you know, did Marianne always get along with Mr. Howe and Lovey? You know, they're stranded there. I don't know. <laughs> like, I want to know these things. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but, uh, where, wait, where's Gilligan? Skipper. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, that, so that was something I would really be interested in hearing more about. So I'm going to press David to write that just for me, at least. And then we get to see the two Sulus together, which is fun. And I mean, they seem to have a good relationship. They were, they're happy to see each other. Now, Dan knows this, that after we finished reading this book, or at least after I finished reading this book, I was still had a few days before we were going to record. So I went back and reread The Captain's Daughter, which is, explores that whole relationship between Demora and Hikaru Sulu. And that was interesting because they didn't always have a great relationship, but by the time you get to the end of that book, and I'm not giving much spoilers away here, but by the time you get to the end of that book, they have a great father-daughter relationship. And I think it shows in this because she does she has missed her father and her father thought he would never see her again. So it was fun seeing the two Sulus work together, the two Captain Sulus working together. Yeah, I, I did enjoy that kind of relationship depicted here in the novel. And, you know, seeing that reunion, that's that's pretty touching as well. Uh, to your earlier point as well, when you were talking about the two captains, Sulu, there was one line towards the end that really confused me. <laughs> and it was, uh, so I'm, I'm jumping way ahead here, but uh, Demora is in command of the Enterprise Bridge. And, you know, like I said, jumping ahead. Captain Sulu is aboard as well. And Captain Sulu calls the bridge and says, Captain Sulu to the bridge. And I was like, that really confused me because I thought it was Captain Sulu to the bridge as in like calling Captain Sulu to the bridge. Yes. But Demora was already on the bridge and Hikaru Sulu was the one saying it. So like my brain really fritzed on that. And then I was like, oh, it's Captain Sulu saying Sulu to bridge, like, like, calling the bridge so anyway i i was literally about like 45 seconds stopped on that line going wait what <laughs> so i felt really dumb after that don't worry you're not the only one i had the exact same experience i remember that part for sure yeah well it's interesting because when you read this book or even the book i read the captain starter by peter david you know, you've got multiple Sulus, you have multiple Harrimans, and they'll refer to a character as Sulu. And I'm sometimes like, I think we're talking about this Sulu, right? Or there'll be a scene where it's like Sulu says to Demora, and I'm like, well, wait, isn't Demora also Sulu? <laughs> I mean, so to say Sulu said to Demora, it's like, okay, so we're going with Sulu for this person and Demora for that person. Okay. But later Demora is Sulu. I don't remember if it was that quite that way in this book, but I just recently, just recently read The Captain's Daughter where it was that way. And it was a bit confusing sometimes. <laughs> yeah, it, it does get a little bit like you say, confusing. And, and especially because like you said, they're both captains in this novel. It really just like adds another layer to that. Yeah. Hikaru Sulu must be proud, which he does say he is. He was very proud to see that his daughter made captain and captain of the enterprise. Oh my. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. That was pretty cool. That nice little 
moment when you realize that she was just a commander when he disappeared, right? So he didn't see this promotion and stuff. So to see that, how that turned out, it actually reminded me of the Deep Space Nine episode, The Visitor, a little bit, where Cisco got to see Jake's later life. And, and this isn't quite the same. He actually lived those 11 years just separated, but it was a nice little reunion that just kind of echoed that for me a little bit. Yeah, such a great episode to The Visitor. But anyway, then let's talk about Harriman, because we briefly mentioned John Harriman a couple of times. He is now an admiral. Yeah, everybody's getting promoted, but poor Hikaru Sulu, because he's stuck somewhere for 11 years. But anyway, we have now Admiral. See, this confused me, too, because in the previous book, we had an Admiral Harriman, which is his father. And every time mm-hmm. I would see Admiral Harriman, I'm like, oh, Blackjack's in here? No, wait, wait, no, wait. <laughs> Even worse, because they're both John Harriman, too. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> so he's an admiral, and he's now stationed on the Hellespont station with his wife, who commands the station, and that's Captain Amina Sasson. And they, they recently got married, which we got indication of from the last novel that they were going to get married, but they always teased each other that they were going to get married. So it was like, are they really going to follow through? And we find that they do here. So... Herman decides, as you mentioned before, he gets that message from Demora Sulu about the Odyssey solution. So he decides that he's going to leave the station. He's going to take the USS Cassiopeia to go rescue Demora and crew from the portal. And he leaves his wife behind. He's doing this all by himself. He's taking a skeleton crew. He's going to sacrifice himself by going through the portal in this other dimension and hopefully try to get everybody back. And so it's interesting how much this character has grown since we saw him on Generations. When we saw him in the movie Generations, he's kind of like, I'm not sure what to do. The Things haven't arrived. It'll be another couple days or two weeks or whatever. And Kirk, help me out here. And then when, as I mentioned, I'm reading The Captain's Daughter, we've seen his character really grow and deal with the issues he had with his father. Then we get to the book that we read last time, Serpents Among the Ruins. And again, we see that father-son relationship and how he's grown again past his father. And now he's at this point as an admiral and he's taking charge and sacrificing himself. He's not the harriman we saw in Generations. Absolutely. And, you know, it's funny, given what we saw of him in Generations, the adjective that I would use to describe him if you had to boil it down to one word, I would say is decisive in this novel. It's funny like that that is his commanding trait here where he discovers this. It's just, you know, a few words from Demora and he concocts this plan and executes it. And, you know, he of course gives a, a, th- a thought to his wife, you know, and, and tells her goodbye and, th- and this sort of stuff, but he's not, hesitating. He's going to do this because he owes these people that he calls friends, Demora in particular, but he just immediately decides to take the Cassiopeia and, and undertake this rescue mission. As a little side note, I got to say, I, if I were the crew of the Cassiopeia, I would be pissed <laughs> because he he basically he he takes the crew off and keeps just a skeleton crew aboard takes the ship and we'll get to the the particulars but in the course of it he ends up sacrificing the ship to concoct this plan like 
there's a captain and, and crew of this ship that call this ship home. And he just like, it's just gone. <laughs> I feel really bad for them. And especially like the 23 skeleton crew members that are along with them that, that are on the enterprise. Like I, I really wanted just a little bit of like one of them passing him in the corridor going like, or something, you know, like yeah, I just wanted a little bit of that. It's like, yeah, what are you doing? Yeah, this is our home. And wait, I'm not going through that portal. Were you crazy? <laughs> but I don't think he was, was he planning to take them through the portal with him? I think, or was he going to beam them to the Enterprise, right? Yeah, they they were uh, they were on the Enterprise and he was going to go through just himself. Yeah. But, oh, well, he thought he was going by himself until his wife shows up. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, yeah, Amina Sassine, I, I think I love her character. I really enjoyed her in the last novel and we get a little bit more of her here. And I really love their relationship between her and Harriman. I think they have this really cool marriage where, you know, they're going on adventures all the time and they, they kind of rattle off a list of these adventures they've gone on and how he's more in love with her every day. I just... I really got a sense of warmth between the two of them. And, uh, you know, I, even her, her slight French accent and like, I could really picture this character. I, I loved it. Yeah, I did too. And that whole relationship with them together, like you said, they've been on all these adventures and she's not willing to let him go off on his own adventure by himself. He didn't even really tell her what he was doing. She figures it out and she's like, no, I'm doing this with you. We're a team. We're going to do this together. And so she's going to go with them. So yeah, they're on the Cassiopeia. They're going to go through the portal. They're going to go and save everybody because he's got a plan. You know, the Odyssey solution. We still aren't given a we're still not told at this point what the Odyssey solution really is, but obviously it's something that Demora and John know about, and that's all we need to worry about this point. We're going to find out about that later. We do know that it has to do with that star, because that's the very start of the novel, is we see the the flashback or the earlier thing that, that Demora and, and Harriman are in that shuttle, and they encounter the odyssey star so we know it has something to do with that but yeah we don't get it spelled out yeah and i remember thinking at the time again well maybe they're not in another universe or any dimension or something and maybe the star is the thing that they know if they go towards that star they'll know how to get home you know and i guess that's somewhat right but not you know we'll get to that later but <laughs> <laughs> but then we have the zinkethi arrive and we heard about them throughout this whole novel that they're near Zenkethi space, you know, and, and all that. And he's like, okay, we know they're going to show up eventually. And sure enough, they do just when John Harriman's going to go rescue the people. Yeah, here they come. It's like, of course, of course. Right. So he's ready to take the Cassiopeia through the portal. The Zenkethi show up, they start firing. All these things start, start happening, but John has a plan. He comes up with a solution and he be, he and his wife beam off onto the Enterprise as the Cassiopeia starts heading towards the portal and is going to crash with it. But then they take the Enterprise and zip through the portal real quick before the ship hits it. And then, of course, they assume, because once they get into the other dimension, nothing else comes through the portal. They assume then the portal has been destroyed. And I'm thinking, oh my gosh, these Enterprise people are like, what did you just do? You brought me into this other dimension. What What is going on? <laughs> Again, decisive, right? He sees the solution and does not hesitate to carry it out. Like, 
I don't think it's reckless. I don't, I wouldn't call him reckless, but he just really sees what needs to be done and does it, you know? And I think that's kind of his hallmark as a captain at this point, which again is crazy given to how we, given how we were introduced to him in generations. But what he knows and the uh, the rest of the crew may not know is he knows he's not really sacrificing them because he knows how to get home, which is the Odyssey solution. Exactly, yeah. So, of course, they're there. They beam up the Excelsior crew and their remaining crew members onto the Enterprise. So now we have Excelsior and Enterprise crew people all together, and now they head towards that star because Demora and John have dealt with the star before because years ago they found this field rift that alternates between different universes. You can travel through it into these different universes. So they had experience with this. And so to your point, Dan, her seeing that star, knowing that that is there, she knew that's a portal to get back. Now it's not an instant portal of just, Oh, we just go through it and we're back into our own universe. We have to wait till there's a certain rift that we need to go through. And so they take 11 months to try out different techniques to get through until the right one they go through, they recognize it in the right space, we're back home. But they're not back home 11 months later. What was it, just like a few days or a few weeks, I think? I think three weeks earlier. Yeah. Before they left. They left. So they have to avoid themselves for a few weeks. (laughs) So not to disrupt the timeline. (laughs) I loved this. I mean, the solution is there's just this area of space proximate to the star and the the whole thing they have to do is just stay there sit there not yeah. do anything while the universes kind of flow around them i guess until they the computer recognizes that they're in the correct one and and zips them out kind of thing like the guardian of forever in a way yeah a little bit i i thought that was really cool i love that i also want to talk just for a minute about the character of tenger the Orion security officer. Yes, of I'm the glad Enterprise you brought him D. up. I loved him. I really liked him too. And it's funny because uh, season three of Discovery has been the most recent to air. And for whatever reason, I just the the episode called Scavengers, where the nephew of Osira is is the guy, and he's like this young kind of cocky guy with this ridiculous short hair. I couldn't shake that image out of my head. So I had tenger- the same image. <laughs> Tinker looked like him. I used him too. I kept like, no, I can't use him. And I'm like, I gave up. He kept popping in my head too. (laughs) Yeah. It was just too bad because that guy's such a loser, but, (laughs) but Tinker's awesome. Yes. But I couldn't shake that image either, but he's interesting. You know, we get a little bit with him kind of at the beginning and then he's in command of the enterprise when Demora's away for a little bit. And then at the end here, his mindset was really interesting because he's very skeptical of this solution. He doesn't think it's going to work. So they get there and they're kind of, you know, Demora and Harriman are consulting and trying to figure it out. And Tenger is like, okay, good. This, this will very quickly be an unusable solution. And then we can get to work on the actual solution. <laughs> right. like, yes. That's an interesting mindset. But of <laughs> course that solution does work, but they have to sit there for 11 months, like you said. So I, it was just, I, I, I love the inner workings of this guy's brain, like that 
you know, he's already planning for failure. So what are they going to do next? Oh, wait, no, never mind. It's working. Okay, cool. Okay, cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'd like to see more of him pop up somewhere. I don't think he've, he, I don't think he's ever appeared in another book that I can think of, but I'd love to see him back. Maybe he's in that short story we talked about, Demore Sue story. Oh, I wonder if he's in he, that. He might be. I can't remember. It's been so long. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, that was really good. I mean, I really enjoyed the book. I mean, do you have any other things you want to talk about in it or? I don't think so. I mean, I, I really enjoyed it as well. Uh, the the final solution, I love that it took 11 months, but they're back before they left. I, I thought that was clever. It yeah. was kind of fun. Yeah. Yeah, I really loved this book. It was it was a really good read. It did bring back some memory. Like, it was coming back to me as I was reading it. I remember reading it before. Characters are spot on. It was It was just a really good book. There was a lot of surprises in it, you know. I love seeing the two Sulus together. That was nice. I love the whole portal aspect. You know, where, wait, by the way, what did happen to those people that from the original planet? I mean, did we ever find out if they went through the portal and where they were? I don't think so. I, I, that never really got answered. I, I kind of like that it's a big mystery and it's one, unfortunately, can't be followed up on now that that portal is destroyed. But yeah. I, I'm really curious where they ended up going when all was said and done. Because I remember there was speculation, I think, from Demora that may, you know, when they she wasn't finding them on the planet, that maybe they moved to a different continent, or maybe somebody came and picked them up and took them somewhere else. You know, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, we never really found out. That is a mystery. That's the see. There's another novel right there. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I really enjoyed it. Um, I would give this a good solid nine out of 10 spiders that are raid to kill. Ooh, it's kind of a creepy, uh, scary rating. I like it. Uh, yeah, no, I really enjoyed this one as well. Uh, I think it really holds up. It, it was a, such a fun story and, and really fun exploration of these characters. I love the big scientific mystery type stories. I think that worked really well for this, especially given that it challenged my expectations because it's such a different novel from the previous one that it's following up on. Demora as a captain, I think is terrific. I would love to read more Enterprise B novels. I think, you know, if, if David R. George III came back to writing Star Trek novels, I would love to see another one set in this era, I think. But yeah, terrific novel, great story, and some interesting literary techniques to kind of bring you along in this story that, that make it a little different from your standard Star Trek novel. So yeah, I'd give this, I think, 10 out of 11 months sitting in front of a, a star waiting to get back to your universe. <laughs> nice <laughs> speaking of 11 months i thought it was interesting how it was 11 months but then the excelsior crew was stranded for 11 years hmm. like the rep they repeated 11 in this and i just wonder if that was on purpose or or not that's a good question yeah i don't know <laughs> so I, yeah i don't know either but that was the book we read so if you guys have read it i hope you enjoyed it as much as we did we have another book we're going to do on our next book club in two weeks, and it is a TNG book, number four, 
Survivors. This is a real early book. This is back in the days when TNG was just in its first season or two. Okay. So we're going to touch on that and then follow that up with kind of a sequel to the book, which is one of the, I think it's the first giant novel called Metamorphosis. Yeah. And both of those are by the author Gene Laura. And to give you an idea of how old that first book is, it has Tasha Yar on the cover. So there you go. <laughs> <laughs> and you're probably wondering, why did they pick those books? It's just, you know, random. We talk things and Dan saw Metamorphosis on his bookshelf, said, I haven't read that one. I read it back in the 90s, but I don't remember a whole lot about it. And we're like, yeah, let's do it. So we just randomly pick books because there's so many to choose from. Absolutely. And there's never going to be any, we're never going to run out, knock on wood. So, <laughs> And if we do run out, we'll be 105 years old. Yeah, at least. <laughs> <laughs> yep. And we'll still be doing this show. For sure. I mean, it won't be a podcast anymore because there'll be some new technology, new kind of thing going on. We'll just yeah, transfer Holocaust or something Holocaust. Like the Welcome to the Positively Trek Holocaust. There you go. I love it. So, well, in the meantime, Dan, if people want to find you online, where can they find you? Well, you can find me on Twitter at Kurtrats. That's K-E-R-T-R-A-T-S. I'm not tweeting out holocasts just yet, but, you know, never know. Keep an eye out for that in the future. Uh, but in the visual medium, you can also find me on YouTube. I'm at youtube.com slash Productions, mostly talking about Star Trek. Uh, but my favorite place to hang out online these days is the Positively Trek discussion group on Facebook. So search that up and we will let you in. Just agree to the rules and, and we'll click approve. <laughs> we have a great group of people in that group. So yeah, come join us. It's a lot of fun. And you can follow me on Twitter at Admiral underscore Rex. And you can also email me at Admiral underscore Rex at yahoo.com. And you can join our Goodreads group. We now have a Positively Trek Book Club Goodreads group. And that shows you the novels we're currently reading for upcoming episodes and what we've read before. And there's a discussion group in there. And people are already, you know, saying hi to each other in the new group, which is pretty cool. And then we also have our email address, PositivelyTrek at gmail.com. Of course, follow us on Twitter at PositivelyTrek, also on Instagram. And as Dan said, the Facebook group, look for that. Just search for Positively Trek in Facebook. And we want to thank our associate producer, William Smith, Bill Smith of Trek Geeks. That's another great podcast. You guys need to check it out. I love it. It's a great show. And he's got his own Dan. I have my Dan and Bill has his Dan. It's, <laughs> that's how it all works. And then uh, that's about it. So join us for our 100th episode coming out April 5th, First Contact Day. And until next time, Dan, what do we always say? Stay positive. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.